Live from the Toad Hop Network Studios in Hollywood. This, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com. It is strongly addictive. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Hello and good Thursday to all of you. My name is Sean Astin. You're listening to Vox Populi voice of the occasionally interested people on the Toad Hop Network from our brand new studio location in Hollywood. Our fearless leaders, uh, Frank and Heidi, have just been given the morning drive time Super Bowl radio slot of uh, KLOS 95.5, and uh, it's going to bring a whole lot of new attention to the... Uh, to the network and everybody's very excited about it so I just wanted to start this episode by offering um, the founders of uh, the founder Frank of, of, Vox, of uh, Toad Hop uh, and Heidi just a, a hearty congratulations and, uh, and wish them success it's going to be a fun adventure I can't wait to see them on the buses and posters and everything uh, driving around town for anybody who knows LA KLOS is the flagship you know it's just a great rock and roll station and and uh it's been a staple for years and mark and brian um have retired or at least uh have have uh, left the the show they've they've resolved that show and now now the uh the heir apparent is uh is, is frank and heidi so congratulations to them um i also want to give the loyals the listener viewers who have been so good have been so attentive on twitter and have leapt to support me and support the show at any in any way they can. Uh, just to say thank you again for the I think it was the 18th of uh, August or the 16th, the 14th. I don't know. Somehow, not too long ago, uh, I really had one day where I hit it hard on Twitter that I was trying to sell these wristbands, the Vox Populi Civil Discourse, uh, kind of Lance Armstrong silicone wristbands. Uh, we bought about a hundred of them. And uh, sorry, about 500 of them, and we wanted to sell them all. Um, and by doing that, you sort, sort of make you a friend of the show if you bought them, and you also get a picture. Which interestingly, now that picture—it's not sort of a high-quality photograph, but it was a snapshot that was taken of uh, the very first, the premiere episode, which was at our old studios over at Universal Studios uh, on City Walk. And and so that's kind of now—it's a limited edition thing, so you get that. And uh, and we did. We I we made about a thousand dollars, eleven hundred dollars, something like that in. Um, on that day, that fundraising day, and last night I made a purchase with some of that uh, money. I purchased a uh, high-quality digital video, digital video recorder. Kind of when I'm when I go on press junkets and things, and you go to the Four Seasons Hotel or wherever you're in New York, and you sit down at the Round Robin things, and and all of the journalists scoot their digital recorders over to you, and and you know you have your little microphone and and they take it and it's broadcast quality. So I really wanted that in case I'm able to go to some uh, events uh, in the next 2 months, 2 and a half months as we get wind down here. I want to have uh, I want to feel like I'm actually on a on a, a proper radio show. So uh, we we now have some portable equipment. It's not ultimately what we're going to do with the money that we raise. I'm I'm looking to raise about $15,000 and and uh, I want to hire a a producer with a real political you know radio experience to help me um, in the booking of guests that uh, 
you know, so like with this Aiken thing that we're about to uh, go into here, um, you know, that we uh, that that we can be responsive. We can call people, you know, somebody from the from the Missouri delegation and get them on the phone and and just be, you know, by myself. It's a little hard to uh, be responsive and find out like who's where's the office number, who do you have to call. I mean, I could certainly do it, but my mind is uh, is going in a lot of different directions. So I want that support, and that's what that money is going to go for, and some other things that we'll we'll talk about, but. Um, but I just wanted to thank those of you who did jump in on that and, and uh, let you know that we changed. Now, that was a $20 uh, thing uh, to become a friend of the show. So now congratulations, you're all friends of the show. Everybody else is a friend of the show anyway. But the point is um, you're, you're, now, you're now an official friend of the show. And we've moved it up to $35 uh, for new uh, – for, for people who want to become a friend of the show. Now we've added a third feature, a third uh, a third item that you get in exchange for becoming a friend of the show. So there's the wristband and there's the photograph that I personally signed to you. Um, it was kind of cute. I had my, my family, my little kids helping me, you know, stuff the envelopes and stuff. We were sort of analog where we were going. But I kind of like that. You know, I've been – I starred in a movie. I was one of, you know, one of the, one of the main characters in uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and it's a $4 billion trilogy and I'm sure people just assume that, you know, because you're in that, you're, you're a wealthy person and I've, I've been done really well. We've, I've, I've protected my money well. We've, we've traveled a lot. We've put our, my wife and I have put ourselves through college. Um, you know, we're, one of our kids is in private school and, and, you know, there's just, we've been good stewards of our money, but you also, you don't make as much as you think. You know, you look at athletes and they make, you know, whatever, a couple million dollars for a season later in their career. And everybody knows that because it's published and actor salaries aren't. So I'm trying to make Vox Populi um, self-sustaining. So, you know, I've got my liberal, you know, Democrat tendencies, which are, you know, um, you know, would have me, uh, how do I say it? I'm trying not to be insulting to myself or, uh, or anybody else, but the, the, uh, the, there are some good conservative principles that should be in place about something being, uh, you know, self-sustaining or profitable. And, and, um, at the moment we don't, it's not set up as a nonprofit. It's just me doing business as Sean with, um, you know, in Vox Populi, um, and the Toad Hop Network. So, so there's, there's, it's early days, and I really like that. I really, I feel like we're on a cutting edge thing. I, I'm, my priority is to build the website. If you go to the website now, the voxpopuliradio.com website, um, it's, it's really kind of getting in much better shape. There's one little addition we're doing to it, but it's, it's very rudimentary. It's very basic. But uh, to answer phone, just click answer. Okay. <laughs> now I know that. It's a different computer system. Okay. Um, the phone number for those of you who are tuning in who've been following the Twitter dialogue about Aiken, uh, Congressman Aiken, and, and the, uh, the debate surrounding his comments. And then for me also, the, and for the rest of the country, and for you, the um, attendant response from the presidential campaigns, from the other uh, campaigns within the state. The, the parties, the, the national parties, how they've responded, how the news media has responded. It's really sort of the first, it's, it's Lexington, it's Concord, you know, it's like this is the first big battle that's noticeable to anybody. It's not even between the main candidates, but everybody's having to line themselves up and, and a lot of things are being said and a lot of things aren't being said. And so if you've been on there and I've been begging you to call in 323-622-TOAD, which is 8623. So 323 one of our big area codes out here in Los Angeles, 
8623. Uh, give a call in and we'll, uh, we'll, have that, we'll have that conversation. We will extend that conversation. Um, but I like that the website is, is very basic. It's prominently featured on the website. Actually, can you throw the website up there? Uh, Sean, or sorry, uh, voxpopularradio.com. You can you throw it up? Okay. Johnny Ice, ladies and gentlemen. Working the working the boards back there. Very responsive. And his wife Kirsty Christy is in uh, in the studio as well. Um so you'll what you'll see is a very a very rudimentary basic thing, but it, it is it's honest. And so I like this sort of from the grass from the ground up. There's a lot of things that could happen with this show. A lot of I have a lot of um you know, I have a vision for what the show could become. And, um, you know, we've gone back now to two hours. Um, I, at the beginning of summer, was a little, uh, I was, I needed to back off. There was a lot going on and, and uh, prepping for the show and everything was, was, uh, it just felt a little cumbersome. But last week, uh, I asked Frank, I said, it's time to go back to two hours because I'm noticing that these issues that we're talking about, they, they expand, uh, talking about them expands to uh, exceed the time allotted for it. So we, um, I, and he, he just jumped in. So Vox Populi back to its original two hour time slot. And, um, and there you go. So what has happened? Uh, let, let me also outline what the show is today. Um, I'm hoping I've, I've got a couple of, uh, people that a couple of big national news guys that I've been trying to get to call in. I want, I want Brett Bear and I want Ali Velshier, two guys I really like. I really like the way they talk and I'm trying to get them to, to call the show. So, um, and we've been in communication. So we'll, we'll, I'm hoping at some point maybe that I'll, I'll break into whatever we're doing and say, Hey, we've got one of those guys. Uh, I have the last 20 minutes of the Admiral Foyle, uh, interview, which I ran the first 25, six minutes of last week. Um, the NBA, uh, former NBA superstar who is, uh, has a great take on democracy and activating people and getting them, uh, getting them, um, invested. You know, he, he, he has this great point about how, you know, when you go onto the campuses, what you see are, are human beings, students who are really want to be involved. They want to, you know, they want to get into their communities. They want to go to other countries and, you know, developing countries and help there. They want to, you know, they, they just want to be involved. They just look at politics as like not the way to do it. Um, and so Adnall goes on and we'll, we'll, we'll hear his, some more thoughts from him about why it's important for them to do that. Um, and we, we also, gosh, I'm just trying to manage my little computer here. Um, Michelle, you better call in. I'm looking at Michelle's, uh, voice. She's had a lot to say on our, uh, we have Paul Loeb, uh, is also going to be calling in. And Paul is a, a really, really fascinating guy. He came to me through my, um, my uncle, my uncle, Alexander Aston is, um, a towering figure in higher education. He's published, I don't know, something like 25 books on higher education. And he and my aunt, uh, you know, are retired now. They're tenured professors at, at UCLA in higher education. And, uh, she's written, I don't know, 15 books or something, uh, some of them on higher education, some on feminism. But they're, uh, they're just really, really smart people who've made a, a great contribution to, um, the collective understanding of, of, um, well, they've had a lot of research actually, but, but one of the things that they, they really got into and they, they kind of pioneered was studying, um, freshmen in universities or, or across the country and the kind of, um, their level of interest in the 
the uh, in government and in, in politics and social in the social sphere and and it kind of led to them doing some work later in their life after their their uh, you know strictly academic work maybe it's actually academic as well but they moving into the spiritual life of of students and and uh, and kind of uh, throwing off the shackles of you know the constraints that are normally in place or have historically been in place when when in secular environments uh, you you talk about people's passion. So they, they wanted to wade into spirituality, which was great. But anyhow, my uncle sits on a board. I want to make sure I get the names of these uh, these things right. Um, so we'll go to that in a minute. But we um, – so Paul Loeb is a guy who has an organization that my uncle's on the board of and they are really involved in activating universities around the country, uh, not just universities but, but you know they've done a lot of work with universities. Getting the getting the schools kind of um, from the from the top down or from the the core of the university outwards, getting students uh, helping them helping shepherd them through the process of getting registered. You know, if you got a kid and they're I actually look at it from the parents' point of view now. But if you're you know you live in one state and you're going to college in another state, you have to get registered. And it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, and you, you got to figure each state has their own rules, and some make it a lot harder to get registered and that sort of thing. So, um, and interestingly, a lot of the universities have not, um, you know, they don't go out of their way to do that. So, so, um, so Paul Loeb has some really um, intriguing. Uh, Perspective and, and his work, and he's he's an author here, and I'm just going to pull up his uh, uh, "Soul of a Citizen" is a book that he wrote, and I read uh, I read some of it last night, and it was really really interesting. Um, it uh, and he also wrote another book called "The Impossible Will Take a Little While." Um, so he's going to call in in the in the first part of the second hour, and uh, I expect that conversation. I talked to him for a while, and, and it's really, really illuminating. And in fact, as it relates to election law, the, he's really aware, kind of on the ground in a lot of different states. They try and figure out target like where are they going to use their resources and where is it going to have the most impact on the on the the, the elections to get people activated and and. Um, he's just seen a lot of hanky panky and a lot of uh, kind of you know people. Misusing or, or abusing this the system and uh, to the detriment of others. So, so I look forward to that. But first, I think we should talk about Congressman uh, Aiken and what has happened uh, here. I uh, I um, I watched the interview that he gave, the local interview, uh, a local TV station, and it was a sort of wide ranging interview. Actually, they covered a lot of ground. Um, I could play some of it, but let's let's not do that. Um, really, the congressman was pretty much just espousing the party line on uh, most conservative issues. I mean, he's just sort of a, a, a good foot soldier in the conservative movement. He's running for the Senate. Um, he seemed really awkward to me. Just his, he didn't seem. For a guy who'd been in the Congress as long as he had, and for a guy who was running for the U.S. Senate, he seemed kind of nervous to uh, take ownership of his um, of his positions, as though uh, maybe um, you know he knew that a lot of people would disagree with him, and he was trying to hedge himself. Maybe it's a kind of a typical political thing, but he wandered into uh, a, a minefield by by um, what he characterizes as a misstatement. You know, he says that he kind of put a word in the wrong place, and he's apologized um, 
for his statements, but it became a uh, a global thing. It became a national thing. Um, and what's and and what his misstatement was, and I'm going to paraphrase it, and I'm probably going to get it wrong. But this is how people talk, you know, when they're in a coffee shop or they're in, they're they're you know waiting for a I don't know they're on an elevator and they're chit chatting around the water cooler or whatever. You know, you don't have a hundred percent recall of this stuff. So I listened to it, I watched it closely. He said something to the effect of he he was asked about uh, his pro life position. And he kind of wandered into the weeds a little bit and he said something about a woman, um, you know, that if a woman – and the way he said it was just so indelicate and inelegant and, and uh, it was what uh, – you know, I'm not even sure it was kind of like an unguarded moment. It was, it was almost – I mean he was, it was like he just walked into a wall. Uh, he, he basically said that if there's an actual uh, legitimate rape, like not sure what, you know. You know, if the girl is uh, looks promiscuous and is uh, and is abused. Is did she invited on herself? Like I'm not sure what he. I don't know what he meant by that. But but he said that the body has some way of um, something to the effect of the body has some way of of kind of dealing with that so that you don't get pregnant. And people are like, uh, I think I got to go back to my biology class because that does. You know, what is he? Uh, what is he saying? What is he, what, what is he saying? Is he saying that the, you know, that that, that that sperm is rejected because I don't uh, who knows what he was getting at? And he he basically said that he misspoke and and he he talked about um, the importance of defending victims and victims' rights and and that kind of thing uh, in his in his statements, which I watched, uh, and, you know, both on his website and they kind of put it out publicly and everywhere he goes, they stick a microphone in his face now, um, but. Uh, very, very, very quickly after he made these ill-advised, you know, kind of inept uh, remarks, uh, he – the entire party apparatus just came down on him in a really um, – in such a, such a fast way that it, there's – I think there's more to the discussion that we can have – there's more that we can learn about than just the pro-life, pro-choice uh, discussion that's been happening in this country, and this debate, this fight, this this uh, drama that plays out in the in the soul of America about what the right thing to do is. Um, the the I think there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, when we look at this particular thing, and you see the way the media has just grabbed onto it, and you see that the presidential candidate Mitt Romney. And then followed up the next day by an interview that I saw on the plane, the the I'm not sure if it was the the candidate's plane or the vice presidential candidate's plane, whatever. Paul Ryan was on the plane talking about it, and they just you know called the guy called for him to you know bow out of the race. I mean, just like that. You know, the Senate. I'm not sure if they have another candidate right behind them. I haven't looked too closely at Missouri, but it's a pretty extreme thing to like yank a guy out of a Senate race two two. Months before the election, when the Republican, the entire Republican um, party strategy for um, you know implementing policies that they want and getting legislation passed, is controlling the Senate. So, and very quickly, the GOP came out and uh, said that he that he stepped he should step down, and um, the delegation, the entire Republican delegation of Missouri, if I'm not mistaken, came out and said the guy should step down. Um, so you're like, wow, um, you know, guy's got to feel awful lonely to be that guy. 
looking around and all your friends and, and I, somebody tweeted to me, are you, um, do you think you should step down or do you think you will step down? And my first thought is not if the money keeps coming. You know, there's a lot of people whose, whose viewpoint is, uh, who they, they share his, they share his view. And so they, they would, you know, possibly interpret the backlash, the media maelstrom that the guys w stepped into as an overreaction, and and it's not fair. A guy made a bad statement, but we 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 also believe in the in a pro life approach, and so we're going to keep him there. So, uh, and then you know the hubris uh, of the guy to stay in the race. It's his right. He's a United States congressman. He has every legal right, and arguably every moral right to to continue to. Uh, try and advocate for his constituents the way he wants and to and to try and be the public servant he wants to be and let the people of that state uh, make their decision. I can't imagine they would elect this guy at this point. It would be really, really shocking to see that. Um, but you never know. You never know. People have a second uh, a second wind and all of a sudden the people who are your enemies this day like come to your defense the next day when they when there's political cover for them to do it because something else has co-opted the news. Um so you you so what what I was doing I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to jump in and figure out what the you know where we what some of the nuances of it are how does a presidential candidate how does a presidential campaign you know they're raising so much money you know they used to say Obama a few years ago they said Obama's going to raise a billion dollars for the 2012 campaign I don't think it's anywhere near that was like 600 million I don't know I have no idea what it is but but uh, but they are raising you know great gobs of money it's surely more than any other presidential campaign ever except for maybe 2008 for Obama but um but you know they there's a lot at stake and you know they they could just feel the from the sound bite that this was something the media could just run when somebody says something and they sound really stupid but they continue to be in a position of authority the media just loves that cuz they can just keep running it over and over and over and over and over again until I don't know what it's like. It's like just rubbing a, you know, some an irritation on your skin until you just it's, it gets bloody. Like they're just going to play it over and over again, and and they could see that, and they were just not going to have. Um, not that it works. I mean, the Jeremiah Wright thing, you know, with Sean Hannity, who would play that thing until the you know the digital grooves wore out. You know about. Um, unrepentant terrorist that he would say and he would go he just had this riff that he would go on and they did that every day for like six months and it didn't work but they still did it um maybe it's just good for ratings i don't know but this one there's so much loaded up in it um that it really you know it's it's exciting for me as a as a citizen i mean it's scary because you think wow this one gaffe is going to totally you know, the media has been waiting for something. The news directors, the the corporate, you know, the the you know the the shareholders of CNN, the shareholders of Fox, Rupert Murdoch, you know, whoever whoever they are, have been waiting. It's just been from a, a TV viewer's standpoint, it's been a boring election. You know, the candidates are incredibly well practiced. President Obama is absolutely he's an absolute expert at staying in a certain lane and staying on message. You know, I mean, he has gas like everybody else, but but he's really, really, really great at it. And uh, and and Mitt Romney, you know, say whatever you want about him, one way or the other, the guy is incredibly. Uh, he he's just he's been running for president for so long. He just gets it's just hard to kind of catch him. You know, I mean, you can talk about where his opinions have changed. He's flip flopped on this and so on and so forth. But but uh, from a a soundbite gotcha um, 
you know, this is a place to finally like grab the politician and hold them by the, you know, collar and just say, no, now tell me what you really think about, you know, whatever it is, immigration, you know. How are you going to get the the vote of the Latino vote or the Mexican the American vote? You know, uh, the Hispanic vote. You know, if what you really want to do is eject eighteen million people from the country, you know, to save money. You know, you can never quite pin them down. But this is one of those ones where it's like people got really upset, really, really upset because the guy said such a bad thing. He basically, you know, he just butchered the concept concept of science in a way that no, you know. Nobody can defend, and uh, but it sounded kind of close. It sounded almost like what a lot of people who advocate pro-life positions sound like, if not in the 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 exact language, the tone of it, the kind of um, condescending tone is what I would call it. That's what I that's what I read out of the way the guy was talking. It's kind of condescending. You know, it's one thing to believe what you believe and to. You know, state it. But if you watch the guy's interview, he was he was just very, uh, yeah, he's just annoying the way he said it. I found. Um, so uh, breaks in. Okay, um, we'll come back from the break. If people want to jump in, unknown oh, number calling. Oh wait, hey, look at this. God, I didn't realize that's where it was. Hello, it's Sean. You're live on Vox Populi. Who's this? No. I have all these calls that I've missed. I didn't know to look in the upper right-hand corner. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for being dumb as a box of rocks. Hold on here. Uh, answer this one. Hello, this is Sean. You're live on the air. Who's this? Hey, Sean. It's Chuck. Chuck, you're calling from, like, Thailand or something. Malaysia. Malaysia. Malaysia, suddenly Asia. Uh, <laughs> how, thanks for staying up, man. I've, I've enjoyed your... Uh, your Twitter presence. Um, I hope you can wait with us through the break. But go ahead. What do you What do you think about? Um, I mean, you you tell me what you want to talk about. Do you want to talk about the politics of the way it's being spun and how it's affecting the national conversation? Do you want to talk about the issue itself and what the guy stands for and how, and where we stand in this country? What 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 do you want to talk about? I want to talk about the politics behind the politics. Uh, the guy made a gaffe. It happens all the time. I mean, they're human. They stick their foot in their mouth. Big deal. Um, the media attacking of that is a whole other issue. I'm way more interested in the way the political parties have jumped on this. Yeah, me too. And and the way that his own people are feeding him to the lions. He's he's he's, he's sort of a uh, to invoke a Christian you know rhetoric or or, or iconography. He's, he's a sacrificial lamb. He's a, he's a, he's a, a guy who's if they can hold him up and say this is so extreme and so wrong-headed, we totally disavow this. All the while, actually believing in the exact same policies and the exact same legislation that he'd want to support or approve as a senator. You know, they they and fair enough. I mean, maybe if the guy's not a good uh, standard bearer, if he's not a good ambassador for the, that concept, you know, they have every right to do that. But it feels pretty illicit, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, come on. It's got nothing to do with that. This, as you, as you said, this guy has been like a really good soldier for the Republican Party for some time now. He puts his foot in his mouth one time, and boy, talk about people jumping off of a sinking ship. It's, and I just find that amazing. And I mean, I'm not talking whether you're pro-Democrat I don't know if the sinking ship is a good metaphor. 
I think find another metaphor because to me they're like they're on a destroyer. You know what I mean? Both 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 the campaigns, <laughs> both the campaigns are there's a military precision to what they're doing. And when something like that happens, I think they like garble it up and they spit it out. You know, and they, or they they figure out how to use it. You know, they both try and figure like how can this be used to our advantage? What what do you think the guy was actually trying to say? If it was a gaffe, what what was he getting at? Well, I first off, I I thought what he said was incredibly ignorant and offensive to anybody who's ever taken a biology class in high school. But um, more to the point is if he said something that he believes, that's that's problematic in and of itself. But let's let's go for a moment and say this does not totally define who this guy is or what he represents or whether or not he's done a good job for his constituents. It's it's a moment where he misspoke, and we've seen it happen before, where somebody says something that sounds so incredibly racist or ignorant or in otherwise misinformed that the populace in general just goes head over heels and the guy disappears into the, into the weeds because he's basically tossed out, cast asunder. And I think that's what's happening here. Well, uh, I think, it was, he, I think is, he's tripped on himself. Like he, I think what – a pro-life position is, and this is where we got on the Twitter debate, and it's where you know this uh, conversation gets uh, <laughs> it gets it gets you know right. It's the most uh, dangerous place to get in a conversation because people are so passionate about it, and their beliefs are so strong, and they the hatred, the bile just kind of just kind of comes right up to the surface, and people can't control themselves. They can't, you know, or you know, or they just they think that guy's an idiot. They 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 think that person is a, a criminal for for trying to stop things. And you know, I, I think that when people are pro life, their feeling is the mother. Of the the you know may, and many people don't think that uh, that in the cap cases of rape and incest that that's an that's an exception or whatever but there are there is a certain strain of uh, thought or a certain belief uh, or or moral you know somewhere in the moral continuum that people feel like even if you're raped if your health isn't at stake you know not I guess considering the mental health of the of the person but but that the woman you know that you that what he said was the baby shouldn't suffer. You shouldn't punish the baby for the violence of the person, and and he had every sympathy. Uh, he 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 spoke of a sympathy for the 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 rape victim, but he didn't really speak to. And I don't really hear in the pro life movement people speaking to the emotional journey of the woman, and what what happens with the woman and how she's uh, meant to absorb that uh, pain. And the and the the continue there's the the conversation just stops and I think what happened was his his mistake was he sort of said a, a science thing that was just retarded uh, you know or maybe that's an inconsiderate word I don't know but they but was just totally you know like whatever wrong bad science but but he was stupid. He, stupid he was ignorant I mean whatever but he but the but he was but but he meant it he, he yeah you know, and how he, scary is that. Well, I don't know. I mean, I want to hear from my thoughtful pro-life friends, and I have many of them who are very passionate and very moral-minded, and and they 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 believe what they believe in. And when they when they speak, I I understand them. I mean, I but everyone agrees that abortion should be reduced. The no, total number should be reduced. You know, I don't think they'll ever be eliminated, whether it's legislated or people are in, you know, alleyways. The the the, the I want to hear that viewpoint espoused from a from an articulate. You know, conscientious perspective because it's out there, 
And I, and I, that's what I want to hear in this show, my show. I'm a Democrat, but for some reason, I don't get enough people calling in to defend a conservative perspective. They don't want to call in and defend a pro-life perspective. Call my phone and let my audience hear why it's the right thing to do. Because I don't like, do I, have I like done something to offend the conservatives? I apologize. Please, I want to hear your point of view. Uh, Chuck, tell me one last thing and then I'm going to jump. All right. Um, basically, You've got two different subjects going on here. Uh, are we talking about pro-life or are we talking about politics? Well, because it's both. The, here's well, a, here's a knock. Case, it's about bailing on the man because he misspoke. It's not. It has not, nothing to do with that. I think it has nothing to do with that. I think it's so much more mercenary than that. I think they could. I think Romney could walk into a room, and if there's no press around, and he saw that guy there, they could they could sit and shoot the breeze and talk about, wow, you know, tactically you made a mistake, and this is why we're doing what we're doing. And he just liked the guy perfectly fine, you know. Though his tone exactly. went right. So it's 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 a question of like it's so sophisticated, and the Democrats, Claire McCaskill, who's running for the Senate against him, was like. Asking him to stay in the race. <laughs> she was saying, like, you know, usually if your opponent goes down in flames, you're like, well, there you go. I was, you know, I'm, I'm still here and, and please vote for me. She's like, no, keep that whipping post around. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, he's, he's, it's so awful that the longer he's around and every time he opens his mouth, I get more money and, and my base gets more activated. So it's really kind of, you can't, I, I love to analyze the politics of it, but in a, in a real sense, you can't. You have to look at, you have to look at what's behind there because, um, you know, I, I quoted this New York Times article the other day where where people were saying that the the um, the conservative, you know, this focus on jobs, 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 you know, the economy, jobs, jobs, jobs. You hear about it all the time is a total like straw man. It's a it's a Trojan horse that's used to get people thinking about a particular business strategy, but they don't necessarily. Put for I'm just you know kind of paraphrasing the New York Times, but the idea is that there's a really really extreme conservative agenda. Uh, Tea Party, um, you know, uh, is is a you know really is an ambassador for for that a lot of those ideas. They you know that those are in the, are in the platform, but they don't get paid attention to because they're talking about this other thing. So it's the same thing with this guy Aiken who 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 is you know just totally takes the conversation into the ditch about. You know, uh, you know, reproductive rights yeah, conversation. Sean, this is this is about Senate seats. This is about a guy who stumbled and they threw him by the wayside because they want the Senate seats. And they looked and they said, in ten seconds, this guy just made himself unelectable. So let's dump him while we have two months to get somebody else in here who might be able to keep hold that Senate seat for us. And that's all this is about. So who are they going to get? Well, who knows? But I've seen I've seen it done before. I saw it done in Texas uh, a decade ago. Uh, some guy dropped out because of personal re issues in like August, and they the Republicans put uh, another party member in there, and he won the darn seat. But of course, in Texas, Republicans win everything. So, Chuck, it's good food for thought. I can't wait to see our Ribbit Frog movie, which is going to be so good. I know from what I've seen. <laughs> it's hilarious that we did a movie called Ribbit, and now I'm on the Toad Hop Network. Go to sleep. Get some sleep down there in, uh, in Malaysia. And I just want to say one more. Th so thank you for calling, and thank you for staying up. Problem. Okay, brother. And then the, uh, the other... Great job, man. Say again? Doing a great job. This kind of discourse is necessary. Thanks, man. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks. So what I want to say is that we're just about to go to break, but 
there have been several calls that have come in, and because we're getting our phone system up to speed, I can't take those calls without disconnecting Chuck. So I, I really, actually, I can add people to a conference call. So if we, we get into a call um, in a little bit here, I will, uh, I'll try and have the premise of the call be that we can allow more people to join the, the conversation as we, as we kind of pick people up as we go along. But I, I'm, I'm just learning the system. So I think three or four people tried to call in. I'm really, really sorry that we didn't have a, a screener to answer your call. Um, but I'm here, and, uh, and we look forward to uh, continuing this conversation. When we come back from the break, we're going to listen to the last uh, 20 minutes of the Admiral Foyle uh, interview, and we'll go from there. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Saturday night, August 25th. It's the hottest party to hit the West Valley since, well, ever. Heidi and Frank, after hours, live at the Canyon Club. You're doing shows on the garage? This is classy. <laughs> See Heidi, Frank, Smees, and their cast of characters doing their live stage show. You know I mean? There's nothing like watching water run down this body. <laughs> Plus, the Tasty Thieves will rock the house. Heidi and Frank, After Hours, live at the Canyon Club. Saturday night, August 25th. Doors open at 6, show starts at 7. Get tickets now at Ticketmaster or CanyonClub.net. The Soda Stream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart. Or just go to SodaStream.com.
You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Hello, we're live again, back after our break. I'm going to jump very quickly. Right? Oh, wait, I've got a call. Hey, I'm all about calls. I feel like Adrian Cronauer. Good morning, Toad Hop Network. How you doing? Who's this? Hey, this is Brad. Brad, how you doing, buddy? It's Sean. How you doing, sir? Good. So you've been watching this. I haven't seen you on our little Twitter feed, have I? Uh, I've been pretty much sick in bed for the last few days. Oh, that so. stinks. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's all right. It's a little bit of a chest cold hanging on. Um, have you at least I, been reading? I'll, have you been reading what we've been talking about? Yeah, I've been I've been keeping abreast. Um. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate for you here on uh, the conservative side, although I want to preface this by saying this is not my belief, but I understand the argument. Um, the question, there's basically two questions you've got to answer to, to really solve the abortion issue. The first one being, uh, is it life? And if so, do you have the right to take it without due process? Um, and then the second question is, uh, if it is or isn't life, uh, does the life of the mother trump that? Should they have additional rights because it's going within their body and therefore it's a health concern, mental or physical? Um, so if you take the first question and you go with the premise that, yes, it is life at the moment of conception, uh, then you're killing somebody if you have an abortion. And you're doing so without that person having the benefit of due process, which is constitutionally wrong, not to mention all kind of moral things that you can hang on that. Um, I don't particularly feel that way, and, and I feel that even if it is life, I think the, the, the life of the person who's here trumps. Uh, they ought to have to say they, they're the one that has to have it grow within them. Um, but that's the argument of the conservative side, that first half of that argument. And because it's life, uh, that's it. You, you don't go any further in the argument. Because it's life, you you cut that off right there. Okay. And, well, I uh, think, um, yeah. All yeah. right. So connect it to Aiken and his comment and I, I the way in I which... There was such an ignorant comment, I can't even begin to describe but I, I think everybody he he even concedes that it was a, that it was a dumb thing well, to say but i mean what, what what he said basically boils down to if you get pregnant when you get raped and it really wasn't rape which is i thought he know, was saying that if you get raped you can't get pregnant like rape well, is its own own that's kind of prophylactic or something by, by by corollary going the opposite direction is if you do get raped and you do get pregnant then it was a rape really meant for it to happen which is what's truly awful about his statement. Yeah, he seemed to want to. He seemed uncomfortable about or, or whatnot. You know, you got to go at that point. You, you've you've now set a gaffe that's too big to forgive. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I know people who have done a lot of great work at inspiring women to choose life of their mm-hmm. own of their own volition. They they've been moved to hear a, a testimony or hear a story or, you know, it's usually not a logical argument that's made. It's usually something that, that in my experience, what I've seen happen, I've seen firsthand how people can, can do that. And it's beautiful. 
it's beautiful to see somebody want to do that and the the way the 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 quality of love for their child if they've if they've gone over that hurdle in their in their decision making process or in their spirit or their soul um and when we talk about it uh it's hard because people generally hear it through the prism of their own experience. And so it almost sounds like if you say that, then somehow you're not being thoughtful or sensitive to somebody who makes a choice, uh, a different choice. You know, it's like they're, they're we, can't, we can't, I think we can't make everybody feel okay all at the same time. And I think what conservatives seem to be able to do, or, or maybe not conservatives is the wrong word. I mean, maybe it, it's it's religious uh, the people who come from a very firm religious perspective, mm-hmm. there feels to others, to myself at times, like there's a callousness. Like that convi- – like embedded in the conviction of the sanctity of life is a rejection of the emotional life of, of, the, of, a, of a woman. Oh, I'd, I'd agree. I, you, the, the, the ironic statement coming from my 12-year-old daughter in the car this morning was, you know, why are guys having any say in this? <laughs> I see that a lot on Twitter, and I just I don't like that. I don't. I don't. Like, I mean, no, your 12-year-old daughter is totally entitled to have whatever thought you want. <laughs> right, I, but exactly. I, but I, I, I want to say in the life of, I mean, I, my, I'm, my wife. We have three daughters. They're beautiful. They're healthy. You know, we've lost. You know. Not all the pregnancies went to term, um, you know. We and and that that so it's a delicate issue. It's with a, a, with a tremendous amount of emotion behind it. I mean, my wife is pro-choice, but I, I don't believe she could ever make that choice herself. I mean, she believes that other people should be able to make that choice, but um, you know, unless even if she was dying, I don't think she would make that choice. All right. So expanding, I, I don't know exactly how uh, Congressman Aiken would want to legislate it or would want to see a Supreme court overturn Roe v. Wade, or I don't know exactly what, how, how he would prosecute that, that uh, moral conviction that, uh, that he holds. But how, how does the political party how does what the political party do? let's put it this way romney is uh, governor romney is pro life right okay yes. i mean i think he wasn't at one point but then he but now he is and he is and he's very his convictions are very strong about that now and he says uh but he wants this guy to step down and yet the legislation wouldn't be i mean i i don't know i, I guess uh, I guess I'm just um, flummoxed a little about – and not even flummoxed. It's just I don't have the answer. I don't know. I would love to be in those meetings when they're making a decision of what to do. You know, Is it a split-second thing like he hears you know, Governor Romney or his chief of staff or somebody in an, an advisory role? You know, they, they hear that statement. They look at it on the news and they go, oh, man, wow, done. He's done. You know, or do they sit down and they say, you know, they weigh this guy's career and what has he done and they make an evaluation of the man and can he can he recover? Like what does he really feel? What You know, you wonder how deep it goes. Um, I don't think they have time to go deep. 
No, I think they I make think like a. I, I think that's a flash decision, and and that's one of those decisions where your first instinct is probably correct. And there's safeties in numbers where if if all the delegation and the party and the if everybody says the same thing, then you know you're not gonna. And and that guy's like, I don't care what they all say. I know my heart. I know what I believe. My constituents who voted me in over and over and over again know who I am. And you know they but we believe the same thing that the, that life starts at conception and that you know whatever. I don't know. I don't know the full. You know. So, but yeah, you, that just plays. Uh, he he had to go for the simple reason that his his statement plays into the narrative of the war against women that is being played out now. As as I can't stand that phrase. Evils of the GOP. I can't stand that phrase. I I think it's political well, catchphrases are really annoying yes, to me. You know, they're really really annoying. But but you know, I mean, the war on, there's oh, I don't know. Everybody's got a war on them. <laughs> Women's war, issues are very. We make war on it. I, we ought to just call the jihad on women and, you know. Oh, for the love the of cold, Pete, you know? Brett. What are you doing to me? You're killing me. Let's get it I really had three people in the call in. Fire there. All right. Well, my, my, you know, I was raised by a powerful and strong woman. I have th- I'm, I'm married to a very powerful and strong woman. We are raising our daughters to become powerful, strong uh, women. You know, I mean, my, I'm, I'm related to very, you know, people who are, Really active in the feminist movement, and and uh, so I'm I'm really as a as a liberal Hollywood guy out here. I I really am in touch with uh, with the importance of advocating for women and being vigilant about legislation and you know court decisions and all that kind of stuff. But the phrase "war on women" is just it's a political slogan that uh, I don't know. I just don't like it. But anyhow, all right. I I really appreciate you. Um, I, I, the only thing that I would say about the way you started the conversation, you, you did what kind of needed to be done in this chat, which is to is to really simplify it, get it down to a kind of a basic thing. But you use the word just a couple of times. I, just, I don't think you can use the word just like it's just that this or just that because there are so many um, variables and permutations. And this, you know, if you make that statement, then it, it begs this question and so forth. So I, but I, I, I think that's the core. This is probably a better. Well, um, you've got the partial birth thing. You've got you know late term well, pregnancy, still, sentience. It, it you know, still boils still boils down to is it life or is it not life? And and if it is life, why are we depriving it of due process? Well, life is an interesting thing. Yeah, you know, it's clearly a growing living organism. <laughs> it's not, it's, it, you know, it has yes, to be. But is it life on its own? And you know, I mean, you'll, you'll what see. what is a quality of life? What what does it mean? Right. I mean, there, and I know right. that we're not. You and I aren't starting this conversation. I, no, it's no. just interesting to us because what has happened is all of a sudden a a centerpiece issue, a meaning an issue that is at the it, it is a uh, single issue voters right. line up yeah. on this thing so hard, and yeah, and they um, big time in the south. Yeah, all over the country, but yeah, of course, in the South, and and uh, but it's it's a conversation that you know that has been so carefully sidestepped. It's like play to that base, and and I'm not saying I'm not accusing it. I just think we all have labels. I mean, I managed a congressional campaign, and I was shocked to see what information we had access to. You can get down to the block and see how people voted. How do the men vote? How do the women? The age groups? Sure. The races? The sexual persuasion? You know, so you can you can design your strategy. You stop looking at people as human beings. You know, sometimes you and you're 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 managing quadrants. You know, and right. and and what I think needs to happen is people need to stand up and say like I'm I, you know I'm not going to be identified. You can't judge me by that. The thing that's sad is we are a very predictable as a species and as a voting culture. We're very, very predictable. 
Uh, you know, you don't necessarily know the outcome of the election because circumstance can change. There can be a big news event. Somebody can say the wrong thing, you know, wear the wrong helmet in the case of Dukakis, fall down the stairs. You know, they, who, who knows that there's like this – it's exciting. You don't know what's going to happen. But in terms of like these people vote on this issue – and this is the issue that seems the most important. Unless you can change the – radically change the conversation, they don't want this guy to turn – my sense is they don't want this guy and this issue and the news playing his clip over and over and over and over again to make that the discussion because I don't think they – they know they can't win on that. They know they can no. have the, a financial support from it. They know that that's their base that they can pull on, you know, but they can't win on that. Um, so they want to well, focus they on, the on that with with other things added on. That's I would say that's true. I mean, if they wanted to fight on that alone, if that was the fight, they might be able to win on it. But um, there's other aspects of the fight that are looming just as large and that are just seem to be just as important to people um, that you don't want to add that to the mix if you can avoid it. I don't think on either side of the campaign, to be honest. Well, I I, the it's funny. Because wants to be fighting that fight either. When I say win it, I, you know, the, their positions are very clear. The choice between the two men, the two candidates, the two philosophies. I mean, even though both sides accuse each other, they haven't passed a budget and, well, they don't really have a plan and, you know, they go back and forth and that stuff. You, you definitely get a sense of the basic direction the country will be moved in with one way or the other. I think it's a very – it's good for the country to have a stark choice. Uh, right. You know, it's good. So, so I think they, I think they, they have that. And Romney's opinion on, you know, uh, uh, feeling about life, pro-life is, is, it's a question of what has the emotional thrust of a campaign. What, where, where is the emotional truck? You know, the camp, the, no, nothing's changed lately on people's positions. It's a question of what are we going to try and what's going to stick with voters? What's going to be the controlling decision when they get in the in the ballot box? Right. And what's going to what's going to you know, so, you know, I can see ways in which if this guy, if a congressman Aiken didn't make the comment in the way he did, but Vice President Biden made a, a gaffe or President Obama made a gaffe or, you know, Secretary of State Clinton made a gaffe or somebody somebody did something that was offensive, then all of a sudden it's it's uh, they could jump on it. And, and, and activate and activate people, tap into that. That's the thing as voters. I guess what really, when it gets right down to it, what I'm really about is I don't want anyone to manipulate me using an issue that's even important to me. Right. I want to be the one who decides uh, how important, you know, how much weight I'm going to give something that's very emotionally powerful to me relative to other decisions. You know, what's going to affect the most amount of people? You know, how do you choose your vote? I try and figure out, you know, what's going to help, uh, you know, reduce poverty? What's going to help increase literacy rates? What's going to help, um, you know, uh, grow the middle class? What's going to help sustain peace in the world? You know, and a lot of times it's a, it's a guess. You know, you can have a point of view. These guys have a point of view and they know what they want, but they, you know, when it gets right down to it, they don't know. I learned this. I was at the military, the Army War College in Pennsylvania, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and I got this. I was a part of this amazing national security seminar, and it was uh, Brent Scowcroft, General Scowcroft, was giving this, this speech, and in between at the lunch times, I was like down in the, in the library underneath, and I was reading position papers that colonels wrote on like weapons of mass destruction in North Korea and, and you know, Palestine and all the – like really trying to understand kind of as a new father what – you know, what, how we could be safe. That was like the most important thing. Uh, to, for me to understand at that point. And what I realized was even the neoconservatives who were very, very smart 
You might disagree with them. You might hate the way the, 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 the levers of power were leveraged, but you can't say that they're not smart and you can't say that they don't have a worldview. But what I realize is even that, you know, 12 guys or 50 guys, whatever it is, who, who, you know, really clung together and did Afghanistan and did Iraq and did, you know, the, the, uh, you know, private, you know, mercenaries that we had and all that kind of stuff. And the the other, you know, all, all that stuff. They don't know. The army. I used to sit in these briefings, these uh, the briefings of the army, and they're so smart, and they've got the world divided into segments, and and how they there's so much that we know about things. There's so much that we can anticipate. There's so much that we can control, and we can provoke, and we can manipulate. And but in a really, really, really important way, we don't know what's going to happen, and we don't know if our point of view is right. And, and, and yet somehow we absolutely punish our leaders if they seem to equivocate or if they seem to hesitate or if they have pause because we take that as a sign of weakness and fear. And so what we end up electing are guys who – and girls who will be a thousand percent you know, committed. They have, they have unwavering conviction on issues where it's not so clear what the right thing to do is you know it's better to get in there and try and come up with a solution that smart people can agree on in terms of medicare and in terms of other things don't tell me you know everything there's no way you know everything you have a philosophy that you're sure that if you just lower taxes on the on the the wealthy that that's going to stimulate things that's enough that's enough Everything, that's everything? No way. And you tell me that, well, as long as you raise tax, both sides are, are, do this. And so what I, what I say is don't, don't try and manipulate me, media, by content, because I see on the Twitter feed when people are provoked and they're exercised, they end up, all, they lash out. They don't like that people are throwing, uh, hurling epithets in, in front of a, uh, a, 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 parent, a Planned Parenthood clinic. It's like, but that's not what this issue is about at this moment. This is we're talking about something else. We can't help it. It's like people's. You once you once you hit that tripwire, people go, and they and and sometimes the 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 bad you know the negative consequence of people having their emotions activated is their critical thinking skills get diminished when it comes to the rest of the issues that are out there. And so I you know uh, I think that. Both camps are working really hard in a way that is finally it's 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 trans it's a little more perceptible. It's a little bit more perceptible to me now what both campaigns are doing, what both political national political parties are doing, the way they operate. It's just a little clearer to me now. It's been a little bit, you know, they've been playing a kind of long slow game, a kind of war of attrition, and they argue about this and they they're developing their talking points and they're realizing that they can actually accuse this person of of this thing for. You know, you know, and and people aren't going to push back. The media hasn't found the smoking gun to, you know, sound to throw up against it. The or the campaign isn't doing it, so they kind of agree. Like, all right, you go fight for your money on this. We'll fight for our money on that. And they're waiting. They're dancing around, waiting for where's the fight. And here you go, the abortion issue. This guy's dumbass comment, and the way the po the politicians are almost doing a little sleight of hand. They're ducking. They're like ducking and weaving, like little fight. We're going to slip that punch. We're going to slip that point. We're going to save the abortion thing for – we're actually going to use it. You can see him using it. I can, I can feel – and I'm not – you know, to me, sometimes this conversation, it's a tactical, it's a strategic conversation. It's not just a conversation that's about the merits itself. It's a little bit of gamesmanship. 
So every now and then, well, not all games. People hold these values very closely. You talk about yeah, pro-life. I think, and pro- I think the guys that are running for, for office, it's all gamesmanship to them. I don't think that they, especially at the higher levels, I think, I don't, I don't feel that they're that convicted about anything other than getting elected. And maybe that's, you know, my, my cynicism shining through in a major way, but, you know. I think it's too I, simple I, for you, Brett. It's just too simple a thought. You're, I, you're I more complex guy than that. The fact is, they, you know, they make compromises. Every, all of them make compromises. It's all a compromise at that point. You know, I mean, it's, the Republicans are, to, to me, world famous at this. You'll, you'll get two guys that just rip each other to shreds in the primaries, and then the other one ends up on the ticket. You know, I mean, how do you reconcile that? Well, that's one of the great things of American presidential politics, you know, and and the president hates it that that guy is on the, you know. I mean, how does McCain reconcile working with Bush after after the vitriol of that particular primary? You know, that was just and it was it was shameful the way that that was handled. I don't know. You I don't know what it's like in your family, but in my family, we there awful things were said. Yeah, awful but, things were said. We moved three thousand miles away and don't talk to each other for years. So. Right, and then well, <laughs> they need each other. They need yeah. each other, and they and they agree on a lot of things. You know, I mean, I I wonder too. Do they go? Do they go out to dinner and do they go? You know, how dare you say that? I think they probably go to dinner. Is like, I love what you did on the swift boat thing, man. That was classic. You know, I don't know. that was classic. Uh, you took me down on that one. You took down you took down the country with this football thing. Wow, good for you. I'm gonna get that, you ne- next year. I'm gonna get you on a. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have somebody. I'm gonna take somebody's dumb uh, misstatement or or you know uh, ignorant statement on, and I'm gonna I'm gonna whip you back. And but really, what all of this gets down to, the only reason that it's interesting to talk about, aside from its kind of sport, is that the individual citizen, the individual voter, is complicit in the. In the 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 emotional narrative. No, certainly you get the government you deserve. Well, and that's what it boils down to. I mean, we we allow ourselves to be manipulated to a large extent. Uh, to a large extent, we're apathetic. Um, you know, we have too many people that are single issue individuals because they don't seem to be able to wrap their head around more than one issue at a time. I'm you know having a discussion with somebody that said that they won't vote for Romney despite the fact that they totally agree with this platform because Ryan is now on the ticket and he wants to uh, uh, do some stuff to take away money from railroad pensions. <laughs> All right. So you got a well, single issue. Railroad, uh, well, there you go. railroad pensions, that's where we're going to leave it. Brett, right. thank you, uh, <laughs> as always, man. Thank you. All right. Hello, hello. Hello. Who's it? Is this Paul? No, this is Larry. Hi, Larry. How are you? I'm doing fine. I was chatting with Sean on Twitter before and this is me you got Sean you're live on the air hey I'm doing good let me uh, put my speaker down now and listen on the phone so I don't get the double talk okay I I actually uh, huh I'm gonna add someone to our conversation for a second I think I can do this hold on hello hey it's Paul I'm students early uh, uh, Paul, it's okay. I'm just, uh, I've got one caller. Our system is a little messed up, so you can either put me on mute and come back in a second, but we're going to finish with a caller, who just, Larry, who just called in. We're, we're, we're on a pro-life issue for the moment, and then we'll switch over and do our, uh, our, okay, our conversation. Okay, I'll just hold. Okay. Okay, Paul, or uh, uh, Larry, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Talk to me. Okay, I think it's interesting that uh, government officials try to decide something in law that we can't even decide in science. We don't know when life begins. How can we make a decision and make it a law if we can't even figure that out? 
Well, Faith will get you on that one. <laughs> Faith. Well, I mean, this, this isn't even a, a religious thing because we don't even have enough information there to go on. So I think the politicians need to focus on what they do best, and that's representing us as far as taking care of our money needs, our jobs, keep the country protected. That's what the government's for. The social issues need to be kept local. Hmm. Well, that certainly makes it makes uh, it makes good sense to me. But you know, you do have things like the Civil Rights Act. You know, you have uh, of course, of course, those are out there as guidelines to make sure that the local issues are handled properly, and we need those. And we went for years without them. But I think that the federal government is like an aircraft carrier; it takes two to three miles to make a U-turn. It can't micromanage down to social levels. We really need to manage that. Uh, through churches and through civil organizations down at the local level. So what would you do with the Constitution? You know, life, liberty, and the... It's that word life is really the the well, pillar. I mean, that, the Constitution is, is correct as it's written, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, but when does life begin? We don't know. Do we, do we use abortion as contraception? That's a waste of medical technology and energy. But do we use it in cases where rape and other situations where we have to or think we have to? I think we should, but that's my personal opinion. I don't know that the federal government should be involved in that. That needs to be a local and personal issue. Well, you know, the science and faith, man, I think as, you know, as my daughters get older, I really want them to have a, you know, a, a, a full education. Not just a, a secular education. I want them to have a. I want them to to be able to come to a place where they can evaluate these things because this binary thing gets a little gets a little tough. You know, you say we don't know, capital K, and you know, I, not half the country, but certainly there's there's probably 100 million, 120 million people in this country who would say they know, capital K, they know they it's because they their faith tells them. So, you know, and it's the same thing with like uh, global warming or whatever, you know, people, science, you know, scientists and society have a real interesting uh, challenge to communicate the merits of scientific understanding to a fallible, you know, uncertain world. <laughs> and, and I think science, you know, the empirical project is, is a little doesn't it's like part of the forgive the pun, but part of the DNA of, of science makes it hard to, um, to do that. And yet people want answers. People want, they want to believe, they want to know they, they, you know, so and just because they want it doesn't make it right. But just because they don't know, doesn't make them wrong. I don't know. I, I you know, the, the point here for me is, and I, and I said this, uh, the other day about, um, uh, gay rights and the Chick-fil-A thing is that it's people's feelings. You know, women are going to decide, you know, except in the case of rape, but the, uh, you know, by, by and large, and I'm not talking about a legal thing. I'm just talking about an, uh, conversationally here. Um, they're going to decide who they want to sleep with and they're going to have to deal with the, you know, they're going to have to accept responsibility for their actions in one way, shape or form. Um, but really, exactly. that's, that's, a, that's a personal choice, just like faith is a personal choice. That's not something says that you. Can be says made you. Into and law. Says you. Well, they can be made into law. 
<laughs> it can it can you can make a law it may be against you know moral law for you while you know the current postures against natural law to somebody else against god's law to somebody else so the the point that i'm trying to make is that people's emotions people's feelings like respecting the fact that people feel hurt when you say something you know if you if you i think the pro life movement you know spending so much time energy and money on legislation they're missing massive amounts of opportunities to make a different kind of emotional appeal to women that are pregnant that might uh you know be a candidate for abortion to not have an abortion or to or to abstain from sex or to whatever they're they're missing they're they're missing opportunities they're so busy focused on legis- and yet you know it's every right for them to focus on the legislation I, I most people agree that the number the the total number of abortions going down is a good thing so you know I, you know this guy's statement hurt a lot of people's feelings it really enraged a lot of people and it was a dumb thing it was easy to to dismiss because if somebody says something dumb in class you're like well that's a dumb thing and you you move on but but there are real issues underneath it a lot of people believe what he believes even if they wouldn't say it in that inelegant way or in that you know inaccurate way they believe that and so now that so now we're we're in that posture but you you make a good point i mean you you make a very detailed specific point you know science is uh is a really useful thing that we ha- that we've developed as human beings and you think that it ought to be prioritized yeah is that a, is that a fair characterization yep. That, that's fair, and I appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and step off and let Paul get in here. Okay. Go back to listening to you. A good show. I'm enjoying it. Thanks, uh, man. Larry, I so appreciate the call. Wish you luck with this, and I, I'm going to keep supporting you and telling people about you. So. Oh, thanks, Larry. I appreciate the call, man. All right, okay, Paul, let me, if I, if I disconnect you, call me right back. Paul, are you there? Okay. I am indeed. Oh, all right, good. So uh, thank you for calling in. My pleasure. Uh, I have only done a kind of rudimentary explanation for the audience at the beginning of the show of what of who you were and what we're we're talking about. But I'll just say a, a few more things about you. I mean, the two things that jump out are that you're uh, that you're an author. Your two books, uh, "Soul of a Citizen," "Living with Conviction in Challenging Times," uh, and then "The Impossible Will Take a Little While," which is uh, a really painful truth. Uh, some of the I love some of these quotes that uh, Alice Walker says. The voices Loeb finds uh, demonstrate that courage can be another name for love. Uh, Millard Fuller says, uh, who's the founder of Habitat for Humanity, says Paul Loeb uh, brings hope for a better world in a time when we so urgently need it. Bill Moyer says you're part of what's good about this world, and I admire your work very much. Kurt Vonnegut said a lot of smart people who have some influence on the course of history will read and admire you and learn from you. I mean, you've, you've, your your work, your life's work, and the way that you've uh, communicated in your writing. And I, I read a, a few chapters of Soul of a Citizen last night, and I found my, I didn't want to go to sleep. I wanted to get up. I wanted to start like returning emails. I wanted to start, you know, <laughs> organize, I mean, get out. It, it was very, uh, very inspirational uh, stuff. There. I mean, I, I'm not talking about all of your other uh, your other accomplishments in life. I think we should use our time to hear about what you're doing. But I want to set I want to set up uh, what Campus Elect. Uh, is for people. Um, it's uh, it's an engagement project, is how you've described it. Campus Election Engagement Project, or CEEP, C-E-E-P, is a nonpartisan project that helps America's colleges and universities get as many of their 20 million students as possible to register, volunteer in campaigns, educate themselves, and turn out at the polls, focusing on administrators, faculty, and staff, and ways they can help engage their students 
We work with 500 schools in 2008 and hope to work with even more this round. So what a great, um, what a great mission for you to have a, a, arrived at. And um, how, uh, first of all, where are you now? You're up in Seattle? I am, yeah, I'm home, which is nice. Sometimes I, sometimes I feel like I live at the food court in O'Hare Air Court Concourse B, so it's, <laughs> uh, it's very nice to actually be in my own house, uh, you know, looking out at the trees. Can't really see the water, but I know it's out there somewhere. Couple, uh, couple months, and I'm, I'm sure the closer we get, the more you'll be back in the, uh, the, the terminals. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and, and, and in a way, the, there's actually, there's a pretty, I, one might suspect, there, there is a link between the books and the, um, and the, pro- the election project, because in a sense, the, the election project came out of them. And just to sort of give a little bit more context, I, I've been working, there's actually, those are actually my fourth and fifth books, so there were three earlier ones. And so I've been working for <clears throat> something like 30 years to get citizens involved and just to help people realize that their actions can matter, that they can take a stand, that they, they don't have to do it alone. The, the classic story that I cite is I, I think I opened Soul of a Citizen with it, is the, the Rosa Parks story, because everyone thinks that they know it, but they actually know it wrong. And the image that they have is this kind of lone individual accidentally stumbling, on, stumbling onto history by refusing to move to the back of the bus. But the reality is that, in fact, she'd been active with the NAACP for a dozen years. She went to trainings at this place called Highlander Center in Tennessee. She was persevering. It was very intentional. It was strategic. It wasn't just like, oh, I accidentally going to make history. It was like you try, you try, you try, and you try, and it all seems frustrating. And then all of a sudden, something breaks through. And I think that that's just it's it, it's just the this is the really important lesson because in fact I just got off the conference call for our campus election engagement project because what we do is once every week we have all the states gather in and report what they're doing. And I was just talking some of them. This is still edge of summer, and some of the. They work with administrators, faculty, and staff to get the students involved. And so there's still some folks who are away from vacation or if they've just got back, the emails are backed up and the phone messages are backed up, and they're not always getting back to them as quickly as they'd hoped. And I said, you know, you just have to keep on going because at a certain point then something breaks loose. And one of the people was describing how she was working as a young woman working in North, in Minnesota but working in North Dakota. And she, was, she said, you know, I was, it was really hard. I was getting frustrated. But then I got this one person at a tribal college in Minnesota, and um, they were just really charged up, and they're going to give me contacts with five other community colleges that are tribal colleges in the state. And so all of a sudden, you know, you push, you push, you push, and then a door opens. And I just said, you know, this is true with anything that you're doing if you're trying to make change. Let me. I want to. I want to ask you a question. There's so. There's so many places we could go with this conversation. But I, I. What. What is the percentage of students in all four years at an undergraduate, you know, university? And I'm sure it's different for big ones and small ones and rural ones from you know right. big urban ones. But 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 you know, generally speaking, what's the percentage of their students who aren't registered and aren't engaged? Well, it really varies because in 2008, you had. I mean, I'm. I could look up the percent. I mean, I'm, I'm always hard for me to remember exact numbers, and I could look, stop, and look them up. But basically, is it a lot? You were, yeah. Basically, you're getting 69 to 70 percent of the eligible students turning out of the polls in the in the in the states. It was a little bit less than. So you states, want the but, other 30 percent? Yeah. Well, I, w- I want the other 30 percent, but here's what I also want. So so it was 60, you know, 65 to 70 percent. It was higher in a state like Ohio or Virginia that was more contested. Mm-hmm. It was lower in a 
California or Alabama or New York where there are fewer contested races. But that, that was sort of you know, where the average. Now, here is what's interesting. In 2000, that was 08. In 2010, those same states that were up there 68 70% dropped down to 19%. Uh, so we're talking, you know, Ohio, Wisconsin, Florida, with Michigan, Pennsylvania, every single one of them it plummeted. And basically the students stayed home. And I would argue that that had some relationship, fairly significant one, to the results of that particular election that the candidates of the students probably would have preferred lost, but they didn't bother to get out and vote. So you can't really, I mean, you can't blame those candidates. You have to say, look, you know, if you wanted somebody different, you better get out there. And so the context that we're now in, and obviously presidential years always get a bigger turnout just because there's more attention, but still, you know, hugely, whatever one's politics, one can't argue that hugely consequential choices are being made in the states and in the U.S. Senate and House as a result of people elected in part by students staying home. So part of the project is saying, well, let's get the students to participate, you know, whoever they end up voting for. Let's get them involved because the outcome you want least is basically a leadership of this country elected by a small number of folks because the rest of us stay home. Let me ask you kind of a – not a controversial question, but let me ask you a question about – you know, sometimes it's it's hard just – kind of like to figure out what the rules are, how to get registered or how to be involved or something like that. How much of that do you think is by, by design in certain states? Well, I would argue, I mean, my personal instinct is that there are pe- that the people who wrote those laws, particularly new laws, don't want certain constituencies to turn out. They don't want young people. They don't want African-Americans. You don't want Latinos. And it shouldn't be that way. I mean, I have a Republican Secretary of State in Washington State who I voted for every single time he's, he's going to retire after this year. And he is going around to campuses encouraging them to vote. And he is getting – he worked out a partnership with Microsoft and Facebook so that we have online registration so that people could sign up and register on Facebook. And he, you know, his goal is to get citizens of Washington – as many as possible turning out and voting, and that's that's how it should be. But I would argue that his compatriots are doing things like, you know, the guy in Ohio is basically chopping early voting laws, initially tried to actually set up something where it was like Democratic counties ended up having fewer hours than Republican ones, and he finally backed off on that one. Uh, and What other impediments know, are there? What, what other kinds of ways do they use to... Uh, well, in lots of, so, so when we look at, I mean, one of the things that, that angers me is the, when we talk, the, the argument being made for all these new laws is voter fraud. But when, I mean, this is like a survey under, like a Bush administration official study that sort of looks, that looks for, you know, actual cases of voter fraud. And it was, a, you know, I think it took a 10-year period. They found maybe 30 or 40 of them, but only like one of them was actually somebody going and voting at, you know, at the polls, something, something that a voter ID law would have addressed, you know, in the entire country. You know, so you're talking about something that basically has more risk of, you're way more risk of it being struck by lightning than of something, somebody voting. And there was no so the, car, the, the registration card thing is a, is a, is a, is a red herring. I think it is. What else? I, you know, what are the other things you know, you that they do? Like a state like Pennsylvania, I mean, this is the study of the State Department of Transportation said that there are going to be 750,000 people who potentially would lack the appropriate ID. 
And it's, you know, it's all well and good to say, well, go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles with your birth certificate. But, you know, if you got married, changed your name, you know, what's your birth certificate going to look like? If you were born in Alabama in the 30s and they didn't give you a birth certificate or just, I mean, I, I renewed my driver's license in Washington State um, three or four weeks ago. It, because of the cutbacks in the state budget, which pretty well all states have, they closed down most of the offices. I had to wait. Five, I had to go back twice and wait, wait five hours just to renew my license. So if you say that's the new requirement for voting, assuming that people will let you let, accept your ID at that thing and you won't be like turned away by some you know misinformed clerk, what does it mean to say oh, we're going to require people who don't drive, who tend to be poor, you know? Uh, make them go in for five hours when they may not even be able to have permission to get off from their jobs, probably don't. Whereas somebody, you know, I mean, if you're running your own business or something like that, you know, you've got a more flexibility in your time. Yeah, I mean, it's just, to me, it's really kind of outrageous. And we're a totally nonpartisan project. But, I, you know, when people do things like that, or the Florida rule where initially they said they had 48 hours to turn in a voter registration if it's part of a voting drive, and I called it the no registrations on Friday law because it wasn't 48 business hours. It was 48 hours, period. And there was a teacher who registered her classes of high school seniors. This is back in the spring, you know, where they would be 18 by November. And she got fined for not turning it in, you know, over the weekend when she couldn't turn it in. So, I mean, that stuff is really outrageous. I mean, it's part of what we're trying to do is to um, essentially get people – with the schools, that if this, you know, if there's a requirement like in Pennsylvania that the schools need an expiration date on their IDs, to get them to, to provide that ID despite the cost, because we want those, you know, we want the students to vote, and it's very unfair to disenfranchise them. But again, I mean, I I am certain that there'll be significant numbers of people disenfranchised by these laws, because that's what all the data shows. I mean, this, you know, the estimates are maybe as high as four to five million. It's huge, and you know, again, it's a it's to fix a problem that isn't actually a problem, and, that, and that's what frustrates me. So, yeah, I, I do think it's politically motivated, and it shouldn't be that way. You know. what, uh, what kind – as you've um, started to build a, a network or an organization to be able to – you know, you, you, you can raise an amount of money. You can raise a dollar. You can raise $100 million. You can raise 10, 10 – you know, like somehow as you're raising money, the, whatever the formula is for you to sustain or grow your efforts, what kinds of groups have you – partnered with or have you found an affinity with to be able to to do what you're doing? Well, we're working first and foremost in the higher education community because that's, that's what we're targeting. So there's a network called, people probably don't know, they're called Campus Compact. They do community Campus service. Compact? Yeah. yeah. And they've been around about 25 years. And what they do is they work with the schools developing like community service initiatives. And they're just really good, respected, credible folks. And so we're working where they have – they're in most states, not quite all of them, but where they have state offices, we're working with the state offices because they always already have excellent relationships with the schools, and it really helps. So that would be an example of a partner working with pretty well most of the major higher education organizations. So the people who would be – the organization that, say, represents the student vice presidents of student affairs or deans of student affairs or residents like those folks, they've just sort of said they're their last two directors because they just switched executive directors. You know, use our names. You know, we love your work, whatever we can do to help. 
so the higher education community you know, is, is being quite supportive. But we also do have outside partners. So, for example, I mean, the League of Women Voters remains the, I don't know, the phrase, the gold standard on nonpartisan voter education. So their a main elections person is on our advisory board, and when we put together materials, we make sure that she looks at it just to be sure that, you know, we're doing everything that's, you know, right with the rules, that it's all completely nonpartisan. I mean, we're trying from our end, but it's really nice to have her outside eyes on it. So that's an example. We're working very closely with Rock the Vote because they do a lot of youth involvement stuff, and it's their online registration tool that um, we encourage the schools to use because it's all very simple. And Are you able to communicate with universities using a language that Rock the Vote hasn't figured out yet? Well, it's not so much using different language. I mean, it's a good question, but it's using different networks. So the language is pretty similar, but the people that they reach, they don't have they don't have ongoing ties to uh, college administrators. What they do, they have ongoing ties to musicians who they can use on, on their bus tours. They have ongoing ties to media folks who can create, you know, enticing things that encourage students to vote tech people who create those tech pools, but, then, but, but you know, what they do, and I think of it as a, gra- a sort of an ecology of participation, their niche is not the direct relationships with the schools. On the other hand, our niche is. So, and, and if people want to say it's campuselect.org or Campus Election Engagement Project, if you Google it. And so what, what essentially we can do is we can say to folks, all right, here here's an administrator that's that potentially i mean they could give an example like last in 2008 central michigan university got the idea of putting up they had a school election website and on one of the football games they started putting up a link to it on the jumbotron you know with 40 50,000 fans in, in the stadium now this time it's going to be a qr code because the technologies of it wait they, they would they would put up the student like who's going for student body president or a registration no 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 no. they would in other words, they would have a site at the school where one of the things we've done is that we've created concise and accessible summaries of all the state voting rules. So that's, state, see, that's, I mean, shouldn't every citizen get that in their mailbox? <laughs> yeah, they should. But part of the problem is I don't know why the states don't always hire very good writers. So, you know, <laughs> so it's all there on the state site. But if you've ever tried, I mean, some sites are better than others. Mine's pretty good. But um, some of them, if you try and navigate through it to understand what the rules are, you're going to spend three hours in some cases. So what we've done is just, you know, make sure we're accurate and very concise and very accessible. We then send it out to all our all the schools we're working with so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel and do that. They can then post it for their students. They can answer questions. And, you know, our effort upstream has this huge multiplier effect downstream. We're also putting together webinars where the schools participate with election expert lawyers who can answer their questions where there's confusions. So all of those kinds of things. Very, very useful. Is, so is, the, case, is, the, uh, is the difference between community organizing and what you're doing that you guys have a statutory obligation to be nonpartisan? Um, I guess there'd be a couple of differences. That, you know, that, would one, that would be one difference is that we do have a statutory you know, obligation to be nonpartisan. And so you know, when we say to the schools, you know, if you want to get do a, a forum and the young Democrats want to do a forum, that's fine. But you've got to get those young Republicans involved as well, or else, you know, at least with our resources, you can't do it. Um, so, you know, so we're, we're very clear on that, and we were in 08, and sometimes we had to kind of rein in, you know, so wonderful enthusiasm, but to say, you know what, that sounds great, but, but we can't do that. 
you know, this is that's not part of this project. So the the, the, the schools have to they have to be even handed. I mean, the goal is every student there, whatever their political views are, they've got to feel included in the community. And so those, our resources are geared to that. And yeah, we want to encourage them to get students to volunteer in the campaign. Is there some disincentive? Other, and that's fine. Is there some disincentive for universities to do to? Is, I'm sorry, say that again. Is there some disincentive to the universities? Like, is it does it distract from their core mission about the way they do their curriculum, or their edu- their thing, or is there are they are they subject to, uh, you know. You know, back what do they call it? Uh, a blowback from parents or people in their you know their their uh, donors. You know, the the people who cha- fund their chairs and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. I mean, legally, any school that gets federal aid has a legal requirement to make what they call a good faith effort to register their students to vote. Oh, really? So actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I mean, it's. In, I can't remember. It's been law for about twenty five years. Um, and, and just a lot of universities aren't that great. They, they're seventy uh, percent is good enough for them. <laughs> well, twenty percent is good enough for them. You know, so good faith means you put out a few registration forms and you call it a day. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't. It's a very subjective definition, and no one's ever yeah. lost their funding because of it. But you know, it is part of the leverage. Is that yeah, we're just asking them to fulfill the law. Now, you know, whether or not some donor is going to get angry and look what your students did and they voted for this candidate and I'm supporting her opponent and how dare you get your students involved. Well, I mean, I think at that point the schools have to say, look, you know, we really appreciate your dollars, but, um, you know, our goal is to get students involved. And I would actually argue Well, if the chancellors or the uh, the school administrators are – you know, typically, and maybe this is wrong, but I'm just—I could be totally wrong about this. But my gut tells me that you know they're mostly conservatives, and the students are mostly liberals. So if they empower all the students to go out there, they're like hurting their own cause. Well, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. I mean, I would say that it actually varies much more than that on both sides. You know. Well, good. <laughs> I'm glad to be wrong. Yeah, the chancellors and presidents vary, and the students certainly vary as well. Um, and so, you know, the, the you know the the challenge though is that. What we want to say is that actually, if you have an campus that's engaged and students are talking about issues, and they're debating them out, and you know, and they're taking issues seriously, then that's a campus where a lot of learning is going to go on. And I've seen that happen. Whereas if you have a campus where people are like, "Oh, this doesn't affect my life," then then it's not. I mean, I'll give you an example from my from Soul of a Citizen. So there's this young woman which actually kind of dovetails with both the book and the project. There's a young woman named Angie DeSoto who started out about as detached from politics as you could imagine. She was a freshman at Virginia Tech, and they basically, it was a 2004 election, very close election. Virginia was a very close state. And not only didn't she vote, she said, I didn't think the president had anything to do with my life. She ended up uh, organizing, helping organize a drinking game where the young woman on her hall when there was a, a state turned red that that is Republican the red team <laughs> chugged a beer when it turned blue the blue team chugged a beer and you know that, that by the end of well, the everybody day, get drunk on Florida her office <laughs> she then gets involved in, and, and the campus was not particularly engaged she gets involved in climate change which I, I would actually argue that climate change is different from abortion in the sense that one really is a faith issue and the other is just this is where the science is and you know, there are some people well-funded by coal companies and 
Exxon and the Koch brothers who are denying it, but the science is very unambiguous about it. Oh, people's attitude, I'm just talking about people's relationship to the science. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So, but in any case, she gets involved in climate change, ends up creating this campus sustainability coalition that it's the, the, her group is the largest student group on campus with 1,300 members. She, it includes, it extends as far as the Young Republicans politically, so it's a broad nonpartisan coalition. They, they urge the, they convince the president to back a sustainability initiative. She's now running that program on the campus. You know, they're doing things, some very commonsensical things that save hundreds of thousands of dollars that they can roll into other conservation. And this is somebody who, through the campus election engagement project, was... No, no, no not through our project. This is somebody who I wrote about in Soul of a Citizen, uh -huh. a young woman named Angie DeSoto. It's amazing how so, you do that. You find these people with these really interesting things, and you just kind of give them... You just give them airtime on your pages, you know? You, you... Yeah, exactly so. Yeah, but it's like she's, she's the result that we want to create. Um, she didn't, you know, she she didn't need our project to be involved, but but that's what we want to create. And I and I would argue that the, the learning at Virginia Tech, well, I mean, she said, I'm proof that individuals can change. She said I was a drunken party girl. That was all I cared about. Now I'm, you know, I'm not that. And she said this is a very disengaged campus, and it's not anymore. So, you know, part of what we're trying to do is to follow her model in a sense, and create engaged campuses. Um, you know, and then the students can debate the issues out, and that's that's great. So I notice in the uh, it's very inspirational. Obviously, I mean the the whole ballywick of this show is citizenship and and being engaged. So you know, to see somebody who's actually do, making those connections and fanning those flames and doing you know just finding. I notice when you talk, uh, and and I found this like with Dolores Huerta, who I got to walk with. You know, who was with uh, Cesar Chavez for my audience. Yeah, she's they don't amazing. Know. I've heard her speak. Yeah, she's it's she was with Cesar Chavez and and uh, I you know, was in West Texas with her do it. The first time I ever canvassed, like went door to door to a house and and knocked on the door and asked them who they're voting for and if they knew where their polling place was and that kind of thing. Uh, I what I noticed from her and what I'm hearing from you is um detail is really important. It's important to know like the rules. It's important to yeah. you know the, and I think sometimes you know, certainly as a as an actor and show business, you know, you you talk a lot about the ideas of something or the images of something or the the thrust of a narrative. But like right. that's all well and good, but you have to know, like you have to be really specific. Tell me something. I noticed on your on the campus election engagement project website, which I just by the way tweeted out to uh, the at uh, or the host Vox Populi folks or or my. There's about twelve thousand of those folks, but the. Um, you, there, you seem very proud of where you choose to put your focus. Like you can't do everything. You choose to do these states or that states. Can you talk about like how you make those choices? And and um, I mean, I have this image of you like instead of having a drinking game watching the elections, like watching the results and being like, oh, voter turnout for you know students was you know up fourteen percent in this area and that's where and not in another area and we put our, our resources there. So regardless of who they voted for, they you know, you you had an appreciable impact on the turnout in that way and you can see it. It's a metric that is you know, Fox News reports. Well, I think you know what I think it's more of a common sense thing is that you know, with limited resources, we're probably putting our, per, our, our first resources just in the place where a student vote will have the most impact whoever they choose to vote for. I mean, so, you know, 
in a contested state for the presidency or Senate race rather than one where it's just, you know, the verdict's already going to be in. Um, that, you know, that, so, we, so probably we are doing more of that. That said, though, we're actually doing some work with states that um, where the results really probably aren't in doubt. So, you know, we're working with Rhode Island and Kansas and, you know, New York. I guess they have some, they have some contested congressional races, but, you know, the, the, the outcome in the Senate and presidency are pretty much, you know, a, a done deal. So, so we'll, we're, we'll, we are indeed working absolutely wherever we can. Um, but you know, when we have some scarce funding to allocate down the line of states, you know, we we do want to get the students. We, we, if we want to say your actions will make a difference, it's just a little bit easier to say that in. Well, it seems like you could choose Ohio to go to the section. places with the most need. You know. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's true. You know, also where the where the voting laws have created the most challenges. I, you know, that's another area. It's just like we can do a lot to walk. I mean, again, we're. The Florida schools, had kind of, they'd stopped registering voters. Um, Is there a public face to the group? You know what I mean? Like if you if you choose to go to South Carolina, I'm just picking that out of a hat, but yeah. or Pencil, you mentioned Pennsylvania. If you choose to go and do a thing in Pennsylvania and it's like a direct response to the laws, is there – are you a public face? Will you go on the local news or do a, a, you know, a newspaper interview where you say like we're here because we think on the face of it this law is wrong and we're going to fix it or is it well, you just – the actions speak louder than words kind of a thing? You know, I, I would say that there's other people whose role much more is advocacy, and that's really not not our role. I mean, it's just that I'm doing I can do that as a private citizen, and I have my views as a private citizen that are you know pretty strong. But I would say institutionally, our role is to say, well, we certainly want to get schools thinking. We want to say the like, example of the laws. The first challenge is here's the law. This is where it is after say, three court decisions back and forth, we now need to figure out how to get the schools to work within whatever that law happens to be to get their students registered and maybe even getting their students helping register some other folks who are impacted by the laws. That's by far a prime challenge. Now, you know, we do want the students talking about and thinking about issues. I would argue that the laws themselves are a legitimate issue that they ought to be talking about, and they ought to be weighing in on them and saying, I mean, my personal view that these laws are seriously problematic because they're going to end up reducing the participation of ordinary citizens in democracy, and that's not a good thing. So, so that would be, you know, that would be the advocate role, but that's not really our. our would you use role. when I mean, you're it's trying? Very, very much. I mean, I wouldn't say it's even secondary. It's very, it's peripheral to what we do. So, okay, so that's good to know. Uh, um... But I'm I'm just wondering if when you're kind of and this is probably the wrong word, it's a very you know it's a it's a Madison Avenue word, but if you're marketing to students about why they should be registered, you know, is the law that's disadvantaging them a good tool? Well, I honestly think that they should get a little bit mad about that law. It's like, okay, you're gonna decide this law is going to make it harder for you to vote. You have two choices. You can say, oh, you know, I was kind of cynical about this election anyway. Didn't feel it was going to make a difference. So, you know, this is going to be harder. If it was easy, I'd do it. If it's harder, I'll stay home. I don't think that's a very good response. I also don't think the cynicism is a good response. So what I would say is 
when I was on campuses trying to register voters during uh, the the uh, 2008 president uh, of the primary, you know, you right. had to you had to take off your campaign button because you it was uh, you're not allowed to like do you have to be separate from the campaign. Right. You're obviously part of the campaign. But I found the 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 attitude towards the students. It was like, come on, what are you are you kidding me? Come on, it's easy. I've got it right here. Just it's in my my you know clipboard. Just sign it. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. You know <laughs> they yeah. they. Uh, but if I said to them, dude, you they're making it hard for you to register do you realize that you know and and this is what you have to look at this sheet this tells you like the 10 things that they're the hoops they're trying to make i can see people going way out of their way to fight an injustice than an inconvenience I, no i agree i mean i think i think that that you know that it is completely legitimate to say look they're trying to stop you from voting that means your vote matters take it personally yeah wow that's a great you way know, to put it respond back your vote matters don't let them do that i i think that that's you know that's completely appropriate to do, and 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 to point that out. Uh, I mean, I'm hoping, for instance, the student newspapers will point that out and just say, you know what, you think that it isn't going to matter? Well, somebody just passed a law that's going to make it harder for you. What do you think about that? Do you want to just take that sitting down? But that's see, that's they my just need the right. General. They need the right. Uh, I don't uh, like bullies, so you know, I'm always that way. Nice. For, you're on the side of the little guy. That's the whole point of democracy. Yeah. Be on yeah, the side exactly. of the little guy. But the um, all right. Let me just ask you a couple of practical questions. I mean, do you have any way of knowing, you know, how many people you've touched or how many people have been registered as a direct result? Or do you have a ball? Any way of evaluating that? Well, we have. I mean, the way we're set up, we're sort of an intermediary. So, for example. When a school, we convince them to put up the Rock the Vote registration link on their site and to drive students towards it and do out, you know, emails that send it out. At that point that the students register, Rock the Vote's going to get those totals. We're not going to get them, although we're trying this time to do a little bit more to see if they can, we can actually both get them. But it's, it's a little technically complicated. And so what we can say, so we don't, it's hard to exactly know, but what we can say is that in 2008, we worked with 500 campuses and that their combined enrollment was close to 3 million students. That's a lot of students. We can say that we had individual campuses that registered as many as some of them, some of them were doing combined on-campus and off-campus projects. Um, so there was a historically black university in North Carolina, they registered 12,000 students. University of Miami registered 14,000 people on and off campus. So we can look at that and we can say, you know what? Um, clearly, we're making you know a very, very significant impact. Do the campaigns Sometimes, ever communicate with you? Well, we have, what we have to do if a campaign gets in touch with us is what we have to say is, you know what? We're really a nonpartisan project. And I mean, like if the Obama campaign or the Romney campaign, you know, and what we would say is if you want to tell your young Democrats or young Republicans to work with us on campus, knowing that they're going to have to work together, then that's completely fine. But we can't, you know, we can't get ourselves entangled with a, with a partisan campaign. Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it's just not. It's not what we. Do. I can just see as a campaign manager, if you're, if you, if you know that a group is out there and they're registering twelve thousand people, you know the instinct will want to be to, you know, until you understand what the what the restrictions are, but to to uh, you know help use the process to your advantage. But but look, okay, so what about um, so you don't know exactly? I mean, you couldn't even throw out a ballpark number, a million kids over, you know. Well, I mean, again, we we reached, you know, the schools enrolled three million. We know that, you know, and. 
did all of them get to the polls? You know, maybe two million of them, two, you know, two and a quarter, two and a half million did. And how many of them would have gotten to the polls without us? It's hard to know. But I mean, I honestly think that did we account last time for maybe a half million students voting who wouldn't have otherwise? I think that's pretty conceivable. I mean, it's it's it wasn't a small number because again, we were working in 14 states. <clears throat> how many are you in now? Well, we're 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 working in about 20 states now. So I and in some of them, I mean, like in Ohio, we had one staffer, and he said, you know, I I really I ended at the end of the day, he worked with about 50 campuses that rolled enrolled about 450,000 students. That sounds like a lonely job. It was yeah, well, it wasn't lonely. We 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 had a pretty good support system, but this time, but he said, you know, there was schools that enrolled about 250,000 students, where I could he said I could send them an email, send them a you know summary of the state rules. But I didn't have time to follow up. I just ran out of time. So this time we've got two staffers in Ohio, um, and you know we'll just we're going to reach more schools. And so, and where are you getting your support from? You mean financially? Yeah. Or, oh, all over the map. I mean, just you know, um, I mean, I literally just talked to one website. of the um, it was people, website. somebody who was called the uh, one of the co-founders of the internet uh, back, you know, in the early, uh, I guess it was the early '70s when it was still DARPAnet. And, uh, you know, he's somebody who gave $5,000, and I was like, that is an amazing person to have on my, you know, to have on my back. He's a VP. How do they do it? Is it, is, is, is it if they go to the, uh, the, the campusselect.org website? Can yeah, people... there's, a, there's a donate page, and it's all tax deductible because we are nonpartisan. And so people can donate. I mean, most people donate. If they're doing a large donation, they send a check, but they can also donate online. And, um you know that's so what, just a real. Does it matter the size of the contribution to you? Well, I like. I mean, more obviously, more is better. I know, I know, I'm I know. I'm but... grateful for all of them. That's I guess. So I mean, basically, if I say what's our range of donations, it's anywhere from fifteen dollars to forty-five thousand dollars at this point. Um, all right. So all the Vox Popular listeners who can afford forty-five thousand dollars. Go to campuselect.org, or, or even fifteen dollars, or fifteen dollars, or anywhere in between. Yeah, or I mean, I would, I would encourage people to go to the site and look at it. It's really. It's really interesting to think of why that – I mean surely it makes you feel – you know you've made a, a contribution. It may not have been controlling, but you, you're a very smart guy, very thoughtful, passionate, inspired guy who believes in other people. And you, you've come up with this – you've identified this place to make a difference. And, and, uh, and you, do people volunteer with you? Do people – I mean do you need volunteers to go like pound the bricks or – Well, we're doing – I mean there's a few folks who are – volunteering with the project um but it's not it's we have some interns who are, who are working in some different states and they're working kind of for volunteer but for academic credit or some of them get stipends we've got a couple of part-time staffers who are kind of helping and volunteering on specific facets of the project would it make your life easier if if certain people within a university administration was to reach out to you what, um, would, what title do you want? It would be easier want? in the sense that we'd, be, we'd know to plug them in. Well, one of the things we have, in fact, though, is we have a it's, – a, it's, it's called campusvotemap.info, and there's a link off our site. And it's a Google mapping tool where people can essentially self-register at their schools so that other people at their same schools can connect with them. And it's, it's, it's kind of fun for me. I mean, it, it's gradually populating. I mean, I don't know exactly how many – uh, flags are planted now, but it's probably 125, 150. I mean, not everybody who's working with the project has, has registered there. But I look at it, and it's it's 
pretty dense, and um, and it's kind of exciting because there's people at all these schools that, you know, some of them we haven't even heard of. And in some cases, like uh, this just happened, it was an Iowa or Iowa staffer said, you know, I went to the vote map and I found this great contact at University of Northern Iowa, and they're doing something called Votapalooza when the students get back, and it's this big voting fair where they have the local elected officials and registration tables and bands, and he said, if it wasn't for that vote map, I wouldn't even know of that person to contact, and they've now hooked him up with some people at some other schools in the state. So, it, you know... We we're doing a lot. Well, and actually, that was a volunteer case. The guy who designed the uh, who designed the vote map uh, did a volunteer. He just you know, he's a good programmer. So there's in in kind things that if people think they can contribute to you, they should uh, send you an email oh, with course. what they want to do. Yeah, no, we're all, we're always open to create. I mean, we've got a printer who's doing, donating some printing. Um, I mean, it just you know. So what's the total number of staffers you have? Mostly raising money. Pardon me. Mostly raising money. Yeah. Because what we wanted, I'm, I'm working on the project for free. Um, in fact, donating about twelve thousand dollars of my own money to it, just because it's just so important to get students out. But what we have to do is to fund the people to do the work in the states, and they're all working for extremely modest wages, um, but they believe in it and and they're passionate about it. And so we're trying to just you know add some more folks to part of the team. What um, uh, what would you um are you looking for other universities to be involved with between now and the election, or you just want to maximize what you've already got established because you're kind of the time is so short now? Oh no, we're continuing to add them, and sort of. So what we do is we just turn them over to the states, and we. Say, I mean, we're sending out our resources to. I mean, I would say we're sending them out to people in pretty well every state in the country. You know, there are states where we've been able to afford staff. There's some states that are kind of doing what they can with the service learning networks without additional staff. Some of them have interns. So we're we're absolutely trying to broaden our reach. Um, I mean, there's a New York State was a they've been trying to get an intern for a while, and she finally found somebody um, in the last couple of weeks, and they're coming on this week, and that's very exciting to us. All right, well, I, Paul, I really really appreciate um, you calling and and just kind of walking the audience through what what you're doing, and it's so interesting. I mean, I could talk to you for hours just about the different kinds of suppression and the different kinds of chicanery that goes on. That I'm sort of my brain is stuck on that these days, but but just well, everything. It's significant. At- it's it's a it's a serious issue, so it's a good thing to be stuck on. Well, then you'll be my guy. In Seattle, I'll call for a you know, tell me three more things that they're doing to screw the voter. You know, but uh, but the the I, I love that we've got a campuselect.org. We've had it up on the site here for a while, and and I would encourage the listeners and, and viewers to go check it out um, to help if you can. You know, if you know people in universities, get them to go to the site, and you know, there's it's all about working together to help increase the. Uh, effectiveness of our democracy and and you're you're just I really appreciate your writing and your the work that you're doing and I look forward to being friends with you and and thank you for coming on the show well my pleasure okay we'll be in, we'll be in touch shortly I will look forward to it bye all right everybody there you go Paul Loeb fascinating thing uh, now we're back to my website which is actually your website voxpopuliradio.com you can go and become a friend of the network rather of the show. Um, whoa, my head is spinning from everything that we talked about. I'm sure we'll pick it back up on Twitter. Um, it's time to really start paying attention now. The presidential election is getting close. Um, now is not the time to sort of throw your hands up because the more they pay to run the same nauseating commercials, the faster it is to want to turn off the TV. Um, 
the more sound bitey they get and the more kind of obnoxious the news gets, the easier it is to want to disengage. But but now really is the time to start buckling down, to start re going to the candidates' websites and reading what their positions are and not just taking the vocabulary you hear from the um, you know, from the, the little quips on the news. So I'm doing that. I encourage you to do that. Please be involved. I think today was a disaster in terms of my getting to the calls properly. I'm, that's all I cared about coming into the day, and I totally screwed the pooch. So I apologize to everyone who tried to call in, um, but I thank you for, for your willingness to be involved. I thank you all, Larry and and uh, and Brett and, and the others who called in. Um, and like that, Johnny Ice on the boards. Thank you, sir. And we will see you all next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people. My name is Sean Astin. You're on the Toad Hop Network in our new locale in Hollywood. Please turn on the music and let me go home. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network. Radio worth watching. A great website if you are in the market for gift giving, redenvelope.com. They have over 300 unique and inspired new products along with their classic favorites that are going to make gift giving very, very easy. All you have to do is go to redenvelope.com, enter Heidi and Frank at the checkout and save 20%. Hi, my name is Miles L. Berman. I'm known as Top Gun DUI defense attorney. We know how to fight your case and we know how to win. Me and my team of attorneys concentrate in representing people arrested for DUI. Call 888-4-TOP-GUN. That's 888-4-TOP-GUN. Or visit our website at topgundui.com. Because friends don't let friends please. Stamps.com is a quick and easy way to get postage. Never go to the post office again. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, you click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in HF to get a very, very special offer for our listeners. That's stamps.com. Enter HF.